something outside. What is that? We did do 
um, some more uh, collection samples, hair uh, collection samples out in the nesting area, uh, the primary nest site uh, for those of you keeping up with it. We found 21 total nests so far um, of something, you know, I'm not saying it's Sasquatch per se, but something's made these extraordinarily odd nests. And so we were out there collecting hair, more hair. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, we had, uh, the funny thing was I was out there with Shelly and we did have something below the, towards the creek area, below the uh, nesting area, about 40 yards out, that was making a little bit of a ruckus. Uh, could have been a bear. Uh, you know, it's just some odd sounds, so odd things that make you go, hmm, maybe it's not a bear. When you start hearing, you know, some odd little knocking noises and some odd whistles. Uh, and the thing that stuck on my head when we were out there at that time, which I believe we do have on recorded, I've yet to review those recordings, but yeah, I got three loud whacks, and I was telling you before the show, Gunner, these whacks were kind of weird because it wasn't like a, a solid limb, you know, it was more like a, a limb with branches on it, you know, you get that kind of rake sound when you hit the ground with all these branches with leaves, mm -hmm. three solid, really quick ones, and went, huh, that was odd, you know, and it was fairly close, something was in the area for a good 45 minutes, maybe longer, but it went quiet after about then, uh, I never saw anything, I tried, uh, whatever it was, it was just out of eyesight. Um, could have been a bear, sure. There, there were some barks out there uh, before we had, you know, gotten down into the area, which could have been bear. Uh, I don't think coyote, though. It's, I can't roll that out. So it was, uh, you know, that was kind of fun. Didn't like I said, didn't get anything um, visually, but uh, we did pull a lot of hair out of the nest, a lot more hair, and um, it was kind of neat because it was Shelly Cummington's first time. You know, she's a member of the Olympic Project. It was her first time out there, and she was, she, you know, to get her feedback, her thoughts, and her ideas. Uh, you know, and once again, you know, she was just like everybody else that's been to this area, both uh, citizen scientists and scientists and whatnot and members of the OP. Uh, they come away going with more questions than answers, so that was nice. Um, and for the record, I will say that we've had a few people reach us and ask us, hey, uh, you know, could this be a wood rat's nest? And no. I was just uh, thinking it, about that. <laughs> yeah, it is just not. I, 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 I worked in Southern California, Northern California. Washington, Oregon, I've seen my fair share of, of nests, uh, wood rat nests, and other nests. This is not wood rat nests. Whatever, whatever made these nests, and they are nests, um, made them completely out of huckleberry. It did not collapse in. They were formed to the nest shape. Some of the huckleberry was pushed into the ground, helping to form the nest. Uh, and, yeah, there was um, a lot of thought put behind something intelligent made these nests. <clears throat> I can't say Sasquatch. Um, we've had bear biologists look at it, like I've told people a million times, and other biologists, they don't know what it is. It just, from our aspect and what we're seeing in the few uh, primatologists we've talked to, it looks like a gorilla nest. Well, there's no gorillas in North America. So that's, that's, all we're, that's where we're at right now. The hair that we've had looked at, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, that everybody hates it, but it's come back on no. Not all, but they, they found, you know, bear hair and raccoon and deer and, and, and the surrounding, uh, surrounding areas. But the the suspect hair um, that I'm, I've got a keen eye for now uh, that's been nestled into the branches of this nest deep down, it's the same hair found in the different layers of the nest. So whatever this hair is, it's whatever made the nest, in my opinion. And it's come back unknown, um, hominid possibly, you know, so... Um, that's exciting, and we'll see where it goes from there. But uh, we'll, we'll do a show. We'll, we'll do a show down the road here on this to talk about it more. Um, if you go to the Kennedy right. Conference in in Washington in a couple months here, there'll be a lot laid out there, as well as the Sasquatch Summit. Um, and we'll talk about stuff 
uh, on this show. Uh, you're not going to hear anywhere else, but you'll hear on Monster X Radio. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, we're, you know, we're as we're as excited about this as many other people are. Um, you know, and we'll see where it goes. That's uh, all we can do. Yeah, and then there's a. Uh, I know that the there's an ongoing investigation. There, part of the uh, nest samples have been sent on to uh, have uh, the new DNA now uh, analysis that allows for a lot uh, uh, that's a lot more extensive than what was available previously. And, um, that's yeah. exciting. E DNA, uh, yeah, E DNA, right. and that's yeah. that. Uh, these samples are being sent off to Dr. Todd Disatel out of New York, and uh, we're trying to raise more funds. Uh, you know, some funds here with Indigo. I know it's on Dr. Jeff Meldrum's page. Um, trying to raise some money, so you know they're about thousand uh, bucks per sample to be tested. Uh, this isn't cheap, and that's why we're um, yeah. you know. We're hoping to raise uh, the more money raised, the more samples get tested. You know, and we we have personally pumped right. our own money into this. This isn't just a uh, hey, give me money or you know, this is you're really going to be supporting something that may you know, no promises. Right. There is never promises, never going to promise anything. Right. But there's enough people involved in this that uh, really feel soundly about this, and it's being handled a lot differently than some of the other stuff that you've seen over the years. I'm not going to mention names. I'm not going to mention studies. Um, but they've led nowhere, um, unfortunately. People can argue, right. oh, they did, but they they really did it. Uh, this this is why we're still here doing this. Um, and, right. And uh, yeah, so it's exciting. I know there's tons of other research groups, research individuals doing amazing work out there. Um, that if they had something like this, I would support them wholeheartedly. Let move forward. Mm-hmm. So I hope to have that in return. And I have supported other people and individuals and groups before. Uh, we hope to see that here because really collectively. This isn't a one-man show. It's not a one-group show. It's it's a community show, a community effort. And so, if people are interested and really want to see, you know, possible results, we're here. Let's see what happens. Uh, you know, help help uh, either promote promote it or help fund it. And yeah, so exciting stuff. And like I said, there are no promises in this. Um, but uh, what I've seen so far uh, with this is another step in the right direction. This is uh, science being involved. And the only unfortunate thing is it does take money uh, to get it done, but that's always going to be the case. Yeah, it's um, like every piece of evidence. uh, To me, the OP is going about this the right way because nobody's saying that this is Bigfoot. It's a very unusual find. Um, Mm -hmm. And... And you got to put everything in context. I know there's been some. I've I've seen the naysayers out there that it's this or that, or and they don't have all the information. They they haven't been to the site. You know, uh, one of the most compelling things to me was and and Derek Randall's is is the consummate outdoorsman. I mean, he it, he d- doesn't just pull things out of his ass to to uh, to talk about. When he was talking about the condition of the huckleberry on that entire ridge line when he first was up there, it was impressive because the way he described it is decimated, you know, that it wasn't, that no chew marks, that there's all this huckleberry at various heights up to like eight feet. Is that correct? Like where these huckleberries oh, good have been God, snapped yeah. off. Oh yeah. Off. And it, yeah. Right. See, uh, real quick. So I took Shelly out to this location mm-hmm. and she was, that was one of the things that blew her away. They were clearly snapped off, and you can go. They're clearly snapped off upwards of some, you know, some at the, the two foot level up to eight foot level. Now, 
not every there's 21 nests spread out over um you know five six fingers coming off a ridge and the exciting thing is not every ridge or every finger has a nest nor is the huckleberry snapped off so it's very it's very clear uh, and not always snapped off sometimes it's just snapped and twisted sometimes it's just snapped right. and broken um, it's not still fall. It's not tree fall. You can find that stuff. Huckleberry will bend a lot of times. It won't just break. And these, they're snaps. And the, now the regrowth is coming. And this area in about, I'm guessing a year, will be completely unrecognizable because all the huckleberry would have grown back. The, the, yeah, so there, this is kind of, we're now into, let's pick up the pace mode because it is starting to grow back. We've taken, you know, about as much pictures and measurements and samples as we need or can take and so now we're you know taking this to the next level where it is pick up the pace involved science uh you know which we've done from day one but let's get the right. test you know and, and we did bring dr jeff meldrum up there to look at it and once again blown away in like had nothing he'd ever seen before and so uh yeah yeah we'll, we'll definitely cover this more um Maybe we'll do a you yeah. know a show here soon because I know, I, I love talking about that. There's a lot of information. I uh, there's <laughs> yeah. others out there that can find this. Uh, it'd be really cool to find this sort of setup somewhere else. You know, it'd be very cool uh, to duplicate this somewhere else. We're working on that right now. The only project is currently working on trying to duplicate, trying to find, you know, giving all the characteristics and the, 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 what we're looking at, what we think we're looking at. Trying to find duplicate this somewhere else, and I know there's other individuals out there that have come across singular nests. It'd be really cool to find nests of this caliber, which includes more than one, anywhere up from you know two to to five in one given area. That'd be exciting. Yeah. Well, I I uh, I know that we could we could talk about this all day long, but we do have a gentleman yes. waiting for us to to join us on the show today. Uh, David Bacara uh, is a Bigfoot investigator. And he is also the owner and operator of uh, the Expedition Bigfoot um, Museum in Georgia. So let's bring David on and, and uh, get the show on the road. David, thanks for hanging out with us today. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Hi, guys. Nice. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so we, we got a little – we get excited about the – are you familiar with the, the – uh, What's going on up in Washington with the Olympic project? Yes, I've been following it uh, as much as I can in my schedule as, as it allows it. But uh, I find that kind of stuff fascinating. And I got to tell you something, that I have the utmost respect for the guys that are in the field doing the work. So, um, I, mean, there's, there, I mean, when you really think about all the people that are involved in the Bigfoot world, what, what is there, maybe – Five percent. They're out there actually getting the bites and uh, doing the sweat and the labor out there. So uh, just hats off to you guys. Um, the rest of us appreciate it. I get out in the field. I got cameras. I'm a field guy myself. I even running the museum, I'm, I'm, I work more hours now than I ever did. But I always find time to do investigations. So uh, you guys are doing a great job, great work, and the rest of us appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dave. Well, thank you, David. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, same, same back to you. We, I know, uh, and, and that's well said. There are tons of individuals out there, boots on the ground, uh, spending their their hard-earned money, time, uh, and doing this sort of endeavor uh, because they enjoy it and it's a passion. And they, you know, uh, there's something to it. And so, uh, no, thank you for that comment. And right back at you. Thanks, guys. So, so Dave, let's get started. Tell tell uh, the Monster X 
radio listeners a little bit about yourself. What's your background and how did you uh, join this crazy world of big footing? Um, I, um, I, I was in the uh, restaurant business for about 25 years. When I moved up here to Georgia, I was driving a truck, a long, long haul truck. And we just kind of landed here by accident, came here up on vacation in North Georgia mountains and fell in love with it. Um, so I kind of ended up here by accident. Never thought about opening up a Big Feet Museum and when I moved up here, but I've been doing this since I was about 12 years old, and I saw The Legend of Boggy Creek, my brother Mark and I, and for a lot of guys, uh, it really started us off uh, on that. It was just such a, a jarring movie back in the 70s before we had all the internet and all the all the special effect movies, and that really captured my brother's eye attention, and so I've been, I mean, I checked every book out in the, in the, in the school library. I watched every <clears throat> every uh, documentary that came on TV, all the In Search Of and Monsters and Mysteries and all those great shows. And uh, I finally had an opportunity to go on a on an expedition with the BFRO about uh, six years ago, seven years ago. And I think it might even be eight years ago. And um, I became an investigator for the state of Florida. And, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting beforehand, but once you become an investigator and you start traveling all over your state, doing one-on-one interviews with people. Um, it really changes the whole perspective on this because you get such an incredible mixture of stories. You don't always get those real sanitized stories that you read on the internet. You start to get some really raw stories being told with emotion and, and, and the whole, the whole, um, the whole thing takes on a whole new feel when it has that kind of that personal touch to it. So um, I'm, I'm about as deep in it now as I've ever been. And with uh, well, David, now, when you first got into, when you you uh, went on these BFRO expeditions, what, what I mean, what did you take away? I mean, it must have got you, I mean, obviously you got more involved. You started actually doing your own investigations, interviews. But, you know, with your, what was your first impression going out with, you know, a group of BFRO individuals? Uh, and then how did that, you know, how did, did that exactly bring you to where you're at now? Well, you know, we all have a starting point in the Bigfoot world. We're all, um, we all got to start somewhere. And, um, well, I went out with an expedition with, with some very nice people, people I'm still friends with. And we went out and did the, uh, we camped out and we were doing the wood knocks. It's amazing too, because the first expedition I was on was a very active area in North Florida. And we actually had two visuals uh, uh, that night, which was very exciting because that doesn't always happen. Most of the time you're going to go out, you got to get nothing. And we just got really lucky. I wasn't a person that had a visual, but uh, one of my friends, uh, two of the people on the expeditions who are now my friends had visual sightings. And I actually made friends with some other folks up there that have a habituation site. I go up, we go down to visit them about uh, maybe twice a year. We stay on the property. So I still have friends there, uh, with the BFRO. I'm still an active investigator for them, but my friends in the Bigfoot world, they, they just encompass all kinds of different groups. Uh, so I'm not strictly BFRO. I have, I have so many friends from every walk of life uh, that are investigators and researchers. And, and, uh, um, and, and, and I think that's the, that's the part I love so much is, is just a mixture of everybody. You know, we've got some guys that are strictly, uh, looking for, you know, relic hominids. Some are looking strictly for some kind of unintelligent ape. We've got some folks that are out there looking for, um, 
some a more su- supernatural being and uh I, i'm not closed-minded to any of it um, i'm open-minded to all of it especially um uh, you, you know you come to realization that these animals are these creatures are much smarter than uh i thought they were when i first started this journey the way they evade our trail cameras and audio and um it's uh it, it's it's a rabbit hole but uh uh, I've loved the trip so far, and I hope I have got another 20 years to go. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point, uh, David. Uh, you know, when you mentioned uh, when you, you get into this, you know, especially I would say most people, most individuals, most investigators, enthusiasts, you 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 think, you know, you're you're dealing with you don't re- I guess you just don't realize how smart or the intelligent level of a Sasquatch, uh, which has to be. Uh, intelligent, uh, you know, we can say, and I, I say this quite frequently, you know, they're, they're masters of their environment. They're like the ninjas of the forest, but there's more to it than that. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good in the woods. You know, I, I can hunt something. I can, I can stay hidden, but um, I can't do things to the level that Sasquatch can, uh, including some of the things you mentioned, you know, uh, I, I, I will leave more trace behind than a Sasquatch will when I'm in the woods, no matter how hard I try. And that's, that's a really, uh, it's a really good point. Um, uh, you know, have you personally, David, have you personally had uh, a suspicious encounter, a personal encounter, something that you, you can't rule out or that was not Sasquatch? Uh, my, we were on an investigation, my wife and I, in um, a little town called Alva, Florida, back in 2011, I believe it was, and um, at a commercial fisherman's property. And we had our first uh, nighttime sighting there through a thermal camera. We observed two for about 12 minutes. We took turns. We had a little distraction going on over at the campfire. One of us were, was in a little pup tent with the flaps drawn with just the thermal sticking out. And then we'd watch them for about three or four minutes. And we'd go out, tap the guy on the other person on the shoulder. He'd go in there and do the same thing. So we, I got a chance to all observe these two uh, between seven and eight foot creatures. One was a little taller than the other. We observed him peeking it from trees uh, from the swamp at us. And my wife was back on the thermals when she saw them just walk back off down to the swamp in the pitch dark to the thermal. It, it was it was great. I wasn't terribly frightened. I was in a guy's backyard. We had people there. Some of them were armed. And, uh, and so I never felt threatened. I didn't, I didn't get that horrible sense of fear. So I think I, I kind of got lucky with my first sighting. Then I was bluff charging the green swamp about two years after that. I was out place and cameras uh, i was actually i had my cameras out on power line routes and i was changing batteries and uh my sd cards i was heading out on my mountain bike i didn't have i think all i had was my mountain bike some extra batteries and a backpack and of course my wood knocker i said you know i'm headed to my car let me just do one, one wood knock i think i'd done like three investigations there i knew it was an active area so i did a wood knock on a tree and something came completely unglued out in the swamp. I'd never heard anything all day. It's very quiet back there, usually back there during the day when all the animals are laying down kind of quiet. And this thing started coming out of the swamp in my direction. I could hear it breaking small trees and branches and thrashing around. I remember looking around thinking, holy cow, it's going to happen. I'm going to see. This is going to come right out. And the closer it got to me, it started off about maybe 80 yards away. I guess when it came to about 30 yards from breaking out of the forest in front of me, I completely lost my nerve. 
uh, here I am. I thought how ironic it was that here I am looking for something, and quite possibly the thing I'm looking for is about to come out into the forest in front of me. But it sounded so aggravated and pissed off. I don't know mm-hmm. if that if I if that I wanted that to be my first meeting with one. So I actually hopped on my mountain bike, and let me tell you something, I pedaled my ass off out of there. I remember stopping halfway around a curve to see if it bounced out around the curve, to see if it peeked its head around, whatever it was. And I, I remember even losing my nerve there, and I just got my car and left. And uh, I also had an encounter in, in a state park in North Florida. Uh, my wife and I were on a hike in an extremely active area, and I did a wood knock. First one, I didn't have my recorder playing or anything. I did a nice, clear wood knock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, beautiful. There's no, there's nobody back there, no houses, no, no uh, structures, anything. I did a nice, clear two or three wood knocks, and something pushed a tree down, maybe 75, 50 to 75 yards away up on a hilltop, and you could hear this tree busting, breaking, and cracking. You know, you know the sound of a live tree going down because it's oh, yeah. fighting. It, it's popping, cracking, snapping as it's going. It's not a dead tree. And uh, <clears throat> that was an amazing time. So I, I, I've had a visual and then two extremely suspicious um, uh, um, things happened to me. Mm-hmm. Now, with, with all three, these all occurred in the state of Florida. Do you think uh, you're dealing with what they, you know, what's known, especially down in Florida and some surrounding areas, the skunk ape? Would you call that the skunk ape or what, what would you label that as? Um, you know, anytime you see one in Florida, it's going to be a skunk ape. When you see one up here in Georgia, it's going to be a wood booger or a booger or a, or a wood ape or a mountain devil. So really, it's like let's, it's the same thing. Um, same thing. But that's what we that's what we call them down in Florida, a skunk. It's got kind of a neat name to it. People like it, you know. So uh, yeah, so down in Florida, they call it skunk ape. We just actually put a brand new exhibit uh, in our uh, in up called the uh, skunk ape exhibit, the Florida skunk ape. And then we just unveiled that two weeks ago. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'm, we're definitely going to touch upon on your museum. Uh, it, Cause it, I haven't been there, but it's on my bucket list for sure. But you know, uh, it is fascinating with the, the different names of Sasquatch around the country. They're usually all enveloped some sort of the same thing, you know, skunk ape, you think, you think something kind of smelly, wood booger, well, I mean, you know, uh, rock ape, I mean, all these different names, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, they all kind of uh, have some similarities with the name. Um, but I always, you know, I'm, you know, I always ask, especially those that are investigating different parts around the country, you know, what they would call it. Uh, you know, so I've, I've talked to a few Florida investigators. They, no, nah, I call it Bigfoot or Sasquatch, but I'm always just kind of curious as to what, you know, uh, lo- the local investigators call it. Um, now, the other thing I thought was fascinating was, do you, do you think with that encounter you had where this thing, you know, you made a knock and it, this this thing went crazy, you know, and, and sounded like it was making a big ruckus. A friend of mine, you know, a good friend of mine, Derek Randall, someone probably always says, it's like Sasquatch just knows how just how far to stay back without being seen. Um, uh, was that your impression? And do you think if you had stuck around long enough that you might have actually had a, had a sighting with that particular encounter? Yeah, you know, I think so. I think it. I think it was going to come out of there, but it wouldn't surprise me if what you described exactly what would have happened. Where they do know uh, just how far um, they can come and get the desired effect of you leaving the air without having to show themselves. I tell that to so many people. So, you know, I was I, I was fi- I was fishing. I uh, 
had rocks thrown at me. I was on, stepped out of my porch, took a lot of to have a cigarette. Something started throwing pine cones at me. It, it's the same story, just different, tiny little differences. But, man, they know how to get rid of you without showing themselves because they really just wanted you to move on, but they don't want to show themselves because, uh, you know, they don't want you coming back and looking for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, 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 I 100% agree with that. I think they, they can just stay out of eyesight. <laughs> They can make enough ruckus, throw things, um, make sounds you never heard before uh, in the middle of the night that will, you know, get, you know, your average person, I mean, more than your average person out of that area or out of the woods. Um, I've, I've, I've encountered stuff like this, and I've talked to enough individuals, you know, I never saw it, but, you know, I, I'm a hunter. I've been hunting for 30 years, and I've never had something ever like this occur. Uh, so definitely, there's definitely something to that. Now, with Florida, Florida, David, can you describe like the areas that you are? I mean, what's in these areas? You know, the uh, a lot of times with in Florida, I know people describe the Sasquatch or or skunk ape being around like palmetto leaves and in swampy areas. Is that kind of your? Is that kind of what you experienced? I'll tell you, um, there, there's 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 so many different kinds of environments in Florida. You get the real swampy area, then Central Florida dries out a little bit. You got mostly just a lot of sandy plains with palmettos. And um, you get up a little farther up north, you got a little bit bigger timber, not real timber, but for Florida, we got a little bit more timber. Um, I, I think what's going on, in my opinion, is that there's more than one species of Bigfoot. And, you know, so there's some, there's some, um, uh, some, uh, what do you call it, confusion when you see a little different one in Florida and then, you know, this tall jet black and very muscular and then some guy in, in Georgia sees a thin, tall, slender brown one, you know, they give it a different name. But I think what, in my opinion, I think just what it is is we've just got more than one species of these things. So that's how, that's how they get their name. One of the ways to get their name, wood ape and wood booger and swamp ape and skunk ape. But, you know, you hear some nice stories of them down there in Florida where they're not so aggressive. They respect people's property and their, uh, and, and their gardens and whatnot. And, then, you know, same thing up here in Georgia. Sometimes they're just complete a-holes. They just do uh-huh. stuff that just defies explanation. <laughs> they descend yeah. on old people. Well, who does that? Why would a... Why would a totally um, uh, dominant creature descend upon an elderly couple and and just bang on their house and take their dogs and howl and keep them up all night, you know? And they do the same thing in Florida. So I mean, it's it's I think that's the reason what really keeps so many investigators hooked in this because I said it before. It's like trying to nail Jello to the wall, man. Just as soon as you get this thing, you think you have some idea you realize you, you ain't got no idea. You just have, you just got to, you have a little thought maybe, but uh, you know, they just, they, they all do such strange things, things that just mm-hmm. defy explanation. And, and I tell you, I want to touch on something. You said something about, yeah. um, about how, you know, how close they can come where you can see them. <clears throat> I find it fascinating how many people tell me that they smell these things. And I, I can smell this overpowering sense of smell of garbage or feces or mixture between body odor and feces, but I couldn't see it. And I think to myself, you know, I have a dog. I've been around bears. And usually you got to be pretty close to these animals to actually smell them. 
And it's, it's amazing how sometimes in broad daylight when you're hunting, you can smell this thing, but you can't see it. So many people, and, and sometimes it isn't just a little whiff. I mean, it's like an overpowering stench of something so smelly, uh, but you, you can't see it. So I, I hear that a lot. And I think maybe it's because it's a big animal. I don't know. I, I guess you could smell a moose from quite a ways off and not see it. But uh, it, it always surprises me um, as, as how people can smell these things but can't see them. It's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's my own mystery I'm dealing with. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, um, that's it, it, an, another great point, uh, especially with those that I've, I've interviewed over the years. Is is uh, a lot of times they just get the, uh, this smell that's just so overpowering. They never they've never smelt anything quite like it in the woods, um, and and in, including in some some visuals, uh, you know, where they've they smelt this thing before they've seen it, or they've seen it and then they've smelt it. Um, it's overpowering. Not not every encounter uh, especially with visual has that that smell associated or no they or the person that's witnessed uh, a sasquatch has smelt that smell and i think possibly it is the distance like you mentioned and also the fact that you know maybe it's some sort of pheromone excreted you know during agitation or or right. fright that could you know i mean did i mean during your guys's uh, thermal when you guys got that that those two individuals on therm was there? Did you smell anything uh, during that? No, I never smelled anything on any of those uh, those suspicious um, encounters. I had never smelled anything, which is neat. Which is something because I've always wanted to. Because I've had it described to me so many times. I'm just kind of dying to smell it. But people say it's once you smell it, you can't unsmell it. It's it's pretty damn stinky. I, I mentioned this before in the show. I had a. I, I, when I lived in San Diego and in my, in my, my present trips down there, I always visit the San Diego zoo. And on two occasions I've had a chance to smell uh, a male silverback gorilla. And on one mm. occasion I never saw the gorilla, but I sure as heck smelt him. It smelled like burnt rubber and garbage and it was just awful. Um, and huh. one of the zookeepers noticed my interest and said, yeah, that's the male silverback. And I said, well, where is he? Oh, he's about, you know, 40 yards this direction up behind something. I went, wow. I never saw him. And then on the second occasion, Later on down the road, I did in fact see him, and I smelled it, and there was no mistaking it. The smell—it was something that, I, that it, no matter where I'm at, if I smell that smell, I'm always going to know where that smell is coming from because it's that huh. distinct. Yeah, that distinct. <laughs> so, truly fascinating. With your with your thermal, uh, you know, the thermal thing. Uh, I, I like. I mean, I'm a big proponent of using therms at night and stuff. I mean, what were you guys doing? Uh, did you guys you you feel when you caught? Uh, these suspect individuals on the therm, do you, did you guys do anything to possibly bring them in to uh, the viewing area or were you guys just scanning around and they were there? I mean, what, what, what was the story behind that? Um, he said it, he, he was a fisherman. He used to fish on the, it, I can't remember the name of the river, but uh, I mean, he, this guy, just, he was, he just slaughter them all the time and he'd smoke whatever was left to preserve them. And he said that was the key. Whenever he'd smoke his catch, these things would come in. So uh, as soon as we got there, he already had the smoker ready. He says, as soon as you get here and get set up, you just let me know. We're going to kick the smoker off. And he was right. He had some fish heads he just threw in there to get the smell going. And, uh, boy, he, I guess he kicked it off about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And by 10.45, we had the two hits on the thermi. He said they come right out of that swamp right there. And he says he knows because that's where he chased them into. He chased them across the yard the first night. I think it was a person. 
with a gun in the middle of the night. And when it just jumped right over a four foot fence without breaking stride, he realized that this was not a person because he was breaking trees and branches and screaming. So uh, that's, that's what he did. He, he said he knew exactly what to do to come in, to get him to come in. And I've heard that before that the smell of fish is almost an irresistible attractant to him. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard, I've got friends that, that, you know, use, or, you know, they say fish <laughs> brings them in or, or uh, another mm-hmm. one was chicken. Um, I, I'm, I'm partial either way. I'm not sure. I think if you're, if they're in the area and, and there's an interesting smell, though it sounds like this gentleman had ongoing, you know, activity. And so uh, he felt that the, the fish seemed to bring him in and it seems like you guys got results possibly from that. So, uh, no, interesting stuff. Uh, David, you know, uh, with with your move from Florida to Georgia, have uh, we're talking about a little bit different terrain. I mean, is there a huge terrain difference, uh, an environmental difference in these two areas, or are there a lot of similarities? And do you think, in your opinion, that um, there's uh, equal amount of Bigfoot activity in both states, or is one state have more over the other? Wow, what a great question. That's something I address almost every single day because we have a full-size Florida map and a full-size Georgia map. And they fit, if you just take the Florida map, you stick it under the Georgia, they fit right together. And you'll notice that there's all these sightings in, in Florida, 380 sightings, and Georgia is 130. And, uh, it, it's, it, and I tell people, what, do you think it's because they don't like to cross on over the Georgia border? And, and I tell them it's, it's because the people in Florida, most of them aren't from Florida. A lot of them, that might be first, second generations, but a lot of them move there from Ohio and Michigan and Missouri and New Jersey and New York. They come from all over the place. They don't have like a super vested interest in the community. Their parents didn't um, have a business there that they took over and all their cousins and aunts and uncles don't live there. So when they see a Bigfoot, they're more likely to report it because they're not too awfully worried about the um, about the uh, the outcome of somebody ridiculing them. But in Georgia, it's a whole different story. And same thing in Mississippi and Alabama. These folks are fourth, fifth, sixth generation uh, Georgians, and when they see a Bigfoot, they're the last people to report it because all their cousins live there. Their great uncle is a pastor down at the church down the road. Their their other uncle owns the grocery store. Their mom works at the post office where their dad used to work. Everybody they went to school there, they know. So these folks, when they see a Bigfoot, they'll tell their mother, brother, brother, father, sister, and that's it. That's as far as it goes. But since we opened up this museum, I thought there might be a few sightings up here. I, I read the BFRO reports. I talked to a few people. You know, when I was in the restaurant business up here for a short period of time, when we first moved up here. But holy cow! Now that we've opened up the museum, right on the main road, five fifteen, it's like a lightning rod. People are coming out of the woodwork. Police officers, nurses. Oh my goodness! Business owners. Uh, you just name it. People that are farmers up here that don't even don't even go to museums. They had to come by and tell us about the print they found on their property and the and their cow that was getting ready to calf that was killed. They found on the corner of the property the head was twisted around, the whole front corner was pulled off. Some came back and killed all their chickens. A white one was looking at it and it just like goes on and on and on. And we are flabbergasted 
as to how active it is up here. So I was under the impression that there weren't as many sightings up here. As it turns out, there's probably even more sightings up here. It's just that they don't get reported. That, that, that element of the person that sees it that goes to make the report, that there's that, that's the missing cog in the machinery, that they just don't make the report. And the terrain up here is completely different. It's all flat down in Florida, sand up here. It's all pine and oak trees. You know, the highest point in Florida is 304 feet. Our cabin, we live in a log cabin at uh, 2,300 feet. And we're not even the high point around here. The mountain that's right around the corner, Rich Mountain, that's had sightings. It's about, it's almost 4,000 feet. So it's very, very hilly. Um, and for you know southeastern standards is quite mountainous and um, so the terrain up here is just perfect because people that live up here they just stick to the trails and there's just miles and miles of forest up here that people just don't they don't get off the trail because it's just too treacherous that that is an absolute gem of information that you just provided an absolute gem. I really appreciate stuff like that because uh, it's not an area that I go to, but I'm not surprised whatsoever by what you've come to known as uh, from uh, hearing from all these different individuals, all these people coming out of the woodwork because um, that is the case. You know, people always go, they look at the known sites, the BFRO and, and a lot of these other databases out there. That is a drop in the bucket with, with the actual amount of sightings, visuals, and encounters. Uh, and I've noticed this over the years from California and Oregon, Washington, you know, there's difference, you know, uh, depending on the generations, uh, the, the, the small towns, the big towns, uh, where people, some will talk, some won't. Up here in the Pacific Northwest, you can't bump into one person, I'm telling you, without somebody they know, either them or someone they know that's had an encounter. And it's just the way huh. it is, uh, whether it's in their family or a friend. Uh, I've noticed that. And, and they never get reported. You know, it takes, you know, it takes, uh, it takes someone that really wants to share their encounter that, uh, you know, for them to actually put it online or tell somebody and with your, with your museum, and I know this wasn't your intention, but it's kind of worked out that way for you, hasn't it? Where you get this, this influx of something you didn't expect to happen with people sharing their encounters and reports from all walks of life. Yeah. yeah we, we, we thought there might be a few. And, and, and I'll tell you something, we thought there, you know, my wife had already had it all figured out. We needed 27 people a day to, uh, to paying customers that come to the door. So, you know, I, 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 have, I have such a passion for this. I mean, and you guys know what I'm talking about. When you have a passion for something, and that's why you guys get out in the woods every day. You risk tick bites and snake bites and you miss birthday parties and things. And, you know, you sweat and it's just. It's, it can be miserable at times. So I had the same kind of passion, but I really want to bring the information to the general public. That's what this is for. This museum is for. I'm bringing, all, I'm bringing all this into. Oh my God, we got you so much information out there. I mean, it's, it's like overload. Now, you know, thanks to the internet. So I'm bringing as much of the good meaty stuff to the general public, and my wife and I are, are we're amazed at at the uh, support from the community. We are way busier than we could have ever hoped to be, and the people there's there's so much interest in this. I had no clue as to the interest in this. Um, we have been since we opened up. We we, we could just forget the 27 people a day. We do that in 15 minutes. 
we do uh, an average of about, um, oh, my God, what do you do, 24,000 people last year in the first 11 months with no advertising whatsoever. The interest in Bigfoot is still extremely strong, especially now that the show is off. There isn't that that, kind of outlet for them to watch the show. And the few shows that are out there are, you know, we need some more good shows. So, um, but I mean, I just didn't know. I I, I didn't know that there were this many people. And it's not just guys. My wife and I were flabbergasted is to to see how many women, mothers, drag their kids in and their husband will sit over on the couch. He's he's not that interested. And there's just as many uh, women as, uh, as men, if not more, that are interested in the subject matter. So, um, you know, we've learned a lot in the year and four months that we've been open, uh, mainly that there's a lot more people interested in this. And I, and if you think, if anybody out there that's listened to this has ever thought about opening up a Bigfoot museum, do it. Don't wait. <laughs> I mean, the, the iron is hot right now, and there's so much good information out there. I wish to God there was 20 of these uh, in the country right now because I guarantee you if you put it in a place, where there's a good steady amount of traffic, um, especially in a place where people like escape the city to get to the mountains, they're looking for that kind of adventure. I promise you, if you make it and you do a good job, I mean, you can't skip, you can't go cheap. I promise you that they will come. Build yeah, it build and it will and come. Build exactly. <laughs> I guarantee it. I absolutely guarantee it. I can guarantee it. Well, David, okay, I want to talk about. Real quick, I want to talk about your your uh, your museum here. I kind of want to close the show out talking about the museum because it's it's on my bucket list and it may even happen possibly down the road here this year. But I have one more question to do with research. Something you mentioned earlier before we get to the specifics of of your museum. Um, you mentioned something earlier, and I was just curious about this. Uh, you mentioned you know that when you were placing your trail cameras, you were kind of I, I believe focusing on the power lines, kind of working those. What, what was your thought huh? process behind? What was your thought process behind that? Well, I, I knew that uh, that they they moved to the. I've had so many reports of people seeing uh, them on power lines, so I had um, I, I had my camera set on camouflaged on trees uh, on the power line walkthroughs, not just on the power line trails, uh, but I had them on also on some game trails too. And the, in the swampy areas, they the power lines tend to run. They used, they usually build that up so you can get in there in the rainy season and check your cameras. Whereas in the swamp, it's, it can be just a flipping nightmare to get back there. I mean, I, I've gone there and set cameras up on game trails and perfectly dry. I go back there 90 days later, and I'm up to my knees in water mm-hmm. and bugs and snakes. It's like this Vietnam horrible stuff, but I'll, I'll go back there anyway. So um, not only do the power line roads, uh, power line uh, throughs were more active, I thought, but they were just so much more accessible. Very good. Hey, let, let's get into the museum. Tell tell us, first of all, where is it located exactly? Um, it's in Cherry Log, Georgia, which is just about four miles south of Blue Ridge, Georgia. It's a, it's a little mountain town up here. And uh, just so you know, I wasn't in a hurry to talk about the museum. I could talk about research and all day long. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I love talking about it because there's so many there's so many different ways to do it. Um, God, there's just so many different ways to do it. And, um, you know, either going to people's houses or the state parks or national parks or 
game trails or, I mean, there's just so many, you know, now I'm, now I'm fiddling with long-term recorders and right now I've got one out at a guy's property. I had a, got a phone call. People call me the museum. They have Bigfoots on the property. I've, I've been known to close the museum and run down twice because people are in a panic. One, the lady had a, said she had a red Bigfoot trying to get in her house at night crying. So I had to shut the museum down, run down, set cameras up on her property and uh, another fellow up in uh, North Carolina had seen one retired Marine, and this guy was so traumatized that uh, he wanted me to close up my museum. And it was on a weekend. I said, "Bye. I wish to good. I wish I could, but he's not going to hurt you. You know, if he was going to hurt you, he would have already hurt hurt you." So, um, but uh, um, yeah, I, I could talk about research all day. So yeah, not to worry about that. Um, it's a four <laughs> miles south of uh, Blue Ridge. And about eight miles north of a little town, LJ, it's right on 515. It's right on the main road. And um, 5,000, it's almost 5,000 square feet. I thought, I was worried because I thought I was going to be able to fill it because when I first opened up, I had my collection, which is, you know, I don't care how big a collection you have. Look, you're not going to fill 5,000 square feet of museum with it. Um, uh, no. <laughs> so I reached out to a whole bunch of my friends put some stuff out on Facebook. Uh, of course, I contacted a lot of my previous witnesses. Dr. Jeff Meldrum had a, was a huge help. God bless him. Let me tell you something, man. I, I put out a call to him, and uh, I had, you know, I picked out the best casts, and so I have a great cast collection. But I, I tell you, I did not want to put, like, 100 casts in there because if you put too much in there, then after about the 50th cast, let's, they all look alike. So I wanted to put enough of a varying of casts in there, but kept just kept it at only like about 15 to 18 casts I have in there right now because that's not the only thing in there. It's not the only piece of evidence we have. I have a hair sample in there. We've got photographs and newspaper clippings and full-size backlit maps of Florida and Georgia so you can actually see where you live. And then where the sightings have been with three different categories, whether it's a class B, class A, or habituation site. Two movie theaters and Seth Breedlove from Small Town Monsters. What a great guy. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch in his uh, movies, but uh, but just, I mean, he's just, he's just oh, so yeah. good at oh, yeah. it. So we've got permission. We sell his uh, movies in our gift shop. We also show, I think, the best Bigfoot documentary ever made, which is The Beast of Boggy Creek, him and Lyle Blackburn uh, got together and uh, made a great uh, bog. Well, I'm sorry, the bog. Yeah, the Boggy Creek Monster is the name of that uh, of that documentary. We show that in our our big cinema. Um, and um, but we've got I don't know how many exhibits we have in there. I just put five more on the wall in there, including the new Skunk Ape exhibit. We've got a Bigfoot dropping in there, so people can people always ask us. You know, we know always ask us when they come up. They were going out hiking with the kids. You know, what do we look for? So I tell them, and I've got to a point where like, why am I going to tell them? I'll just show them what to look for. We have a whole exhibit of just Bigfoot sign with uh, busted branches and pictures of uh, of structures and uh, suspected um, wood breaks. And we have a three-foot big tur- Bigfoot turd in there, too, so they can see what Bigfoot droppings look like. Um, and it just we, we mix the gambit up because I don't want to – we, we don't we don't want to put out there that Bigfoot is the big force giant, the big uh, gentle force giant, even though there are plenty of occasions where they are. But there's just as many occasions where these things, it, it kind of gets a little fuzzy 
uh, as to what their real um, capacity is, depending on each particular individual. So suffice it to say that we present as much open-ended evidence, and then when people come in, they make up their own mind as to what uh, Bigfoot is and, um, you know, whether they can, you know, how they wrap their head around it. We want people to make up their own mind. I don't make up their mind. I don't push any specific kind of thought process agenda. It's, it's an extremely complex phenomenon, three, four, five dimension. No matter how which, which way you look at this thing, it's just got all kinds of different facets to it. So that's what we present to the public. And uh takes you anywhere from, you know, most people are back there for about two hours, but you can be back there for three hours. And uh, sometimes we have people come back the next day. I think I missed something. Can I come back? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we get people come back four or five times, families. So we've been very, very blessed, very blessed. Yeah, so no matter awesome. what, yeah, no matter what, there, no matter <laughs> your perspective on Sasquatch, no matter your background, there's something for everybody at this museum to take away uh, from whether you're uh, just interested in the subject, you're an enthusiast, researcher, investigator, or just somebody who wants to get out of the sun. There's something to be taken away from your museum, and it sounds vast. It's, it's actually, I can't even comprehend what it looks like <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, people keep, uh, the phone keeps ringing. Dave, I got a footprint. My buddy Robert Robinson from Florida at Legend Trippers just brought me a brand yep. new uh, um, a foot cast from Washington. I've got one from Cliff Barockman back there. I've got another one from Tom Powell. God bless his heart. Love Tom Powell. I got another one from Meldrum. I now have foot casts. I have nowhere to put them. Um, so I'm, I'm getting other things in that I have no place. I'm headed to Falk, Arkansas uh, the week after next to pick up a very large artifact that's going to be, uh, it'll be its own display. Uh, Brian Impey out there put me on to a great guy named Doyle Holmes out there. And uh, he's had ongoing activity out there, just just crazy stuff going out there. Things are still happening in Falk, Arkansas. Just because you don't read it in the paper, I'm telling you, it's still extremely active out there. And um, uh, Lyle Blackburn put me in touch with uh, Brian Impey. So um, I tell you, if there's one thing that that I tell People come and say, hey, I want to be, how do I get into Bigfooting? You know, how do I get into this? And if, if I ever had one shred of, of advice to them is be nice and be nice to people. Whether you agree with what their thought process is in Bigfoot, be respectful, be nice, because it's at some point, be nice to every researcher you meet. Be respectful of them and their feelings and their, whether you agree with them or not, you can keep that to yourself. Because some point down the line, you may go, oh, my God, that person, I need to call that person because what he told me two years ago makes perfect sense. And if you can't pick up the call and call that investigator because you didn't mouth off or say something derogatory or negative to that person, you still have a good uh, rapport with that person, you can call him and pick his head with some more stuff. And because you're, you're – you're, your um, your perspective on this is going to change from where you start to where you're going to be two years, five years, 10 years down the line, 15, 20, it's going to change. So I always tell people, God, be nice to each other. Um, I have I, some of my friends, they're all, we're all over the place. I'm sure some of my friends think I'm completely nuts because, because I, I've, I just have an open mind and I just think it's important to keep an open mind. 
So uh, if I, uh, that's my one piece of advice to people getting started in this is don't start off on the wrong foot by shutting people down that have a different opinion than you do. It doesn't mean you, ha- you don't have to agree with them, but please be respectful and be nice to them because that's the way I was raised, and it's worked very well for me. I have tons of friends in the Bigfoot world. I don't, I don't think I have a single person that I, I really don't like. Um, and I hope it's the same way for people that know me. Even they don't agree with me, I, I hope certainly hope that they respect me and like me. And if they need anything, I, I'll you know they can call on me. So um, yeah, you know, if you're if we're going to get to the answer of this thing, if we're going to get to the to the real answer to this thing, we're going to need each other. We really do need each other to do it. Oh man, that it's so refreshing to hear, David. It's so refreshing to hear because you're absolutely right. You know. Uh, and all the individuals that, that are working with you, a lot of them I know personally, a lot of them I've worked with, and a lot of them I've had on my show, those that uh, you, you've talked to, worked with, and, and had contribute to your museum are, 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 like, are just that, very open-minded, and they don't bash people. They don't attack people. And at the end of the day, I always say this, you know, when you start attacking people, whether you agree with them or not, you know, what are you bringing to the table? What are you doing yourself? Uh, you know, I think that's half the reason the subject doesn't get, we don't get further in the subject because there's not collaboration and we're busy or a lot of people are busy um, checking each other's pockets. What, you know, what are you hiding? What are you talking about? You're a liar, this and that. And at the end of the day, it, that's, that's, that's not research. Uh, that's just, uh, it, it gets you nowhere. It's ridiculous. So I, that's, um, those are well-said words, and uh, that's a well-said comment. And uh, kudos to you. I mean, your, your museum, you know, for, for those listening, get off social media, <clears throat> you know, get in the woods. And, and you want know go to the museum. Uh, this museum sounds fantastic. Uh, I, I can't wait to get there and check it out because you've really put together a one-of-a-kind thing. I know you, you poured your blood, sweat, and tears into this, your own money, and it's, um, it's, it's got a little bit of everything and a lot of stuff, and it's Bigfoot, people. If you're, this is why Montrex does the show, because we're, we're really uh, into the Sasquatch phenomena, and uh, this museum it sounds fantastic, and uh, I can't say enough about what you've done, David, and your comments. Uh, Gunner, you got something to pipe in here? Because, uh, you know, what a great show. Yeah, I, I, we're getting close to running out of time there, but I do want to say thank uh, our guest David Bacara to, today for joining us. Um, we'll have to have you back on it and and just talk Bigfoot more. Uh, it's it's always fun to for for me. Monsterx is a, it's just the coolest thing because I got to get get on and just talk to to people about about a subject that I'm passionate about. And I know that you guys are too. So, um, again, David, I really want to say thanks for joining us today, and good luck with your museum. I'm sure that uh, uh, both Shane and I will get get down there and stop by one of these days. And uh, uh, I hope that uh, you have much success with it and continued success. And and uh, thank thank you again so much for for being on Monster X today. Thank you, fellows. A pleasure meeting you. I had a great time, and I hope to get to meet both of you real soon. Yeah, we, that will happen, and we will have you back on for sure because uh, you're a joy to talk to. Thanks, guys. Thank you, David. All right, thanks, Have a great David. evening. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Monster X Radio. Next weekend, we'll uh, Shane and I will have, be doing a show, 
I know that we'll be, uh, both of us will be on our way back from Beachfoot 2017. So uh, until then, have a great week and uh, get out there and get off, off social media, like Shane said, get in the woods, go look, find Bigfoot. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.